where, again, the family has been broken down greatly. The family has been de-emphasized. All the things that we just went over. And so when we look at the church, we, we kind of realize it's not going to be this perfectly crafted thing of, of a bunch of nuclear families, you know, mom, dad, children, and grandchildren, and everybody in the pew together. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing when it can happen, but we don't live in a culture like that. In fact, a lot of the, the people, when we go to evangelize, there's a lot of broken families out there. There's a lot of uh, things like that, that, that every family in some way has been touched by divorce, has been touched by loss, has been touched by something like that in, in some way. And so as, as we look at the church itself, the Bible gives two metaphors, two major metaphors for the church in the New Testament. Uh, and, and here's where I put you on the spot. What are those two major metaphors for the church? All right, the bride of Christ. Okay, there's three. I, I had two in mind, but the, the bride of Christ, what else? Body. All right, the body of Christ. And what else? Family. All right, so if you think, let's, let's take the body first of all. The body, uh, specifically 1 Corinthians 12, is antithetical to the atomization I just talked about. The atomization is breaking everything down to its individual parts. What does Paul say about the parts of the body in 1 Corinthians 12? There's no part that can tell another part, ah, I don't really need you. There's no part that can tell the rest of the body, I'm fine, I'm fine on my own. Your hand can't just go off and do its own thing. If it's not connected to the arm, and if it's not connected you know, to, to the nerves and through everything that, that the brain is sending signals, the blood, everything has to be connected, right? Or else your hand doesn't do any good. What do people often say about uh, church today? Well, I'm spiritual but not religious. I come to God in my own way. I'm a hand that's chopped itself off from the body and I like it better that way. It doesn't work that way. You are not an individual. You're part of a whole and so you're part of this body. But then that other metaphor is a family. Why the family metaphor for the church? Why is, do we have this, we call each other brother and sister, and, and you know, we have a father, we have the, the head, we have you know, the, this idea that kind of carries through the idea of a family. Well, because we are supposed to innately know what a family is, that a family has authority, a family has love, a family has uh, discipline where it's needed, a family has uh, connection and mutual support and, and all of those things. But if we live in a time where we don't really know what the family is, we don't know what the purpose of the family is. We don't have a lot of good models of, of how a family is supposed to operate. How is that going to carry into the church? Well, it's going to hurt our understanding of the church as a family. And, and you see kind of this symbiotic relationship. And in fact, we're going to get to this in the afternoon lesson, uh, which I, I greatly encourage you to stay for, for lunch and then come back for that because we're going to start to get into specifics of the man's role in the family, the woman's role in the family tomorrow night, things like that. But you can see, and, and as I study all of these things, I see carryover that when we misunderstand one of these things, it makes us misunderstand others of these things. When we misunderstand what marriage is for, that's where people misunderstand the bride's connection to the groom, Jesus and his church. They think, well, I can come to Jesus in my own way. Sorry, Jesus isn't an adulterer. He has a relationship with his church, and if you want a relationship with him, you've got to be part of his church. We misunderstand discipline. We live in this time where it's kind of, well, let your kids decide what they want and then just kind of pretend that's what you wanted them to do anyway is almost the, the disciplinary advice. Well, it's no wonder the, the people that parent that way grow up to be church leaders and how do they discipline within the church? Well, let's just kind of hope we give people a slight nudge and, and hope they behave the way they want. Well, we'll let them do whatever they want and keep coming to church and not say anything about their sin because maybe hopefully they'll, they'll get the, signal, the, the, the hint or the signal one of these days. It doesn't work that way. 
And so as, as we get the family wrong, we get the church wrong. As we get the church wrong, we get the family wrong. And these things are supposed to build on each other. The church should create better families, and better families should create a better church. And so getting both of these things right at the same time strengthens both of these things. Because when you think about, uh, let's look at 1 Timothy 3 briefly. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I've spent a lot of time in First and Second Timothy and Titus over the last couple of years because they're so informative for the church and what the church is to teach and what the church is to be. As, as Paul is writing to these young ministers and saying, teach this, teach this, don't let people do this, tell people not to do that, correct it when they say this, make sure they understand this, that, and the other thing. Those things that he told them to focus on are things that are going to matter to us as well. And so when you look at First uh, Timothy 3... Verse 2, these, these qualifications, as we call them, of elders or overseers. Mine says, an overseer then, First uh, Timothy 3, 2, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Twice there, it says, husband of one wife, then one who manages his own household well, because if he can't manage a household, how's he going to manage the church? There's that carryover, right? In the deacons, you see the same thing. In Titus, when he gives the elder qualifications, the family matters. A man who is good at managing a family will be good at managing the church, and a man who's not good at that will not be good at managing the church. And so stronger families, again, create stronger churches, first of all, just through leadership. The better families we have as part of a church, the more candidates we have for church leadership. You guys are very blessed here to have an eldership. And, and good men, I got to have dinner uh, with, with uh, most of your eldership last night. Men who care about you, men who care about the church, men who are dedicated to the work of the Lord. I've served in, in two churches. One had elders, one didn't. I, again, I get to speak in a number of places. A lot of churches that don't have elders. There's other churches I go to where they, they have elders, and I'll talk to the preachers, and the preachers say, I can't get those guys to do anything. Now, they might say the same about him. I don't know. I'm just getting one side of the story. But you see this hands-off leadership style. You see these issues that arise. We need good church leadership. Well, where does good church leadership stem from? Good families in the church. If you want a church to have an eldership, what you need is 15-year-old boys going, you know what? I want to grow up, get married, stay married to my wife, be a loving, devoted husband. Uh, I want to have children with my wife, raise a godly family, provide for them, take care of them, raise my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and then when I hit in my 50s, my 60s, I've done that for a little while, I want to be an elder of the church. That's what we need. If we have any boy who is remotely spiritually inclined at 15 years old, what do we say? Oh, you must be a preacher. You must gonna, you go to a preaching school, go to Freed, go to, go to become a preacher. Not every spiritual young man should be a preacher. We need guys, we need plumbers and electricians and lawyers and doctors and farmers who love the Bible and who want to raise godly families and want to serve the church. We don't think that way. So it starts with the family. You can't become an elder until you've done well with the family, and so leadership is part of it. You look at, uh, the, again, the deacon qualifications. What is expected of women is given here. Church culture, the, who we are in the church building, flows from family. But again, we, we come to this time where we don't have a lot of strong families in the culture, so it's hard to have it in the church. And as I said, when we convert people, a lot of times the people you convert have already been divorced or have already suffered loss in some way, have already, uh, their, their, their family is broken in some way, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
A lot of times, in fact, I was just at a church last week where they had a number of couples that, that had been baptized, but as I said in the sermon, well, we'll see about getting married. We, we live together and we have kids together, but eh, we're, not, we're not sure about the marriage thing. Well, that makes it really hard to build a good church family culture when our church families are not actual Christian families operating the way that they should. And so we have these issues. We uh, had the scripture reading earlier, but I want to look at it again. Psalm 68, verse 4. Because one of the other things is when we start talking about families, we start talking about children, we start talking about all of these, these ideals, there are a lot of people who can be hurt by these conversations. Talk about, you know, good marriages, and there are those that are widowed and think, well, I lost my spouse. I'm, I'm not part of that anymore. There are those that are, are single and want more than anything to be married, but just have not found the godly spouse that they're looking for. That's really hard. We've got those, when we talk about children and raising up families to the Lord who have not, for whatever reason, whatever physical uh, challenges, not able to have children, and they, they desperately want children, and um, that, that, that is such a difficult, painful thing. And so they're thinking, what, where do I fit in with this? Again, you've got the divorced who come to church and think, my spouse left me. They, they decided to go for somebody else. They decided they didn't want to be married anymore. You've got those that, that maybe are orphaned. You've got those that are, are distant from their family. They think, man, I, I wish I had a great relationship with my kids, but they're estranged. I wish I had a great relationship with my parents, but, but we just don't talk very much. We bring these burdens to the church. We've got all of these people. Not everything is the ideal. We want to get to the ideal. We want to, to have as many people reach the ideal as possible. That's not always the case. But if you notice in Psalm 68, verse 4, Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exult before him. A father of the fatherless and the judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. And there's a wonderful description of God. A father for the fatherless, a judge for widows. He makes a home for the lonely. God sees all of these things. God cares about those people, and we should too. This is not, when we talk about the ideals of the family and marriage and children and all of these things I'm talking about, we're not trying to forget the fatherless. We're not trying to forget uh, those that, that have been widowed or those that have been divorced or, or any in those situations. James 1.27 says the pure and undefiled religion in God's sight is the care for widows and orphans. God cares about these people. We should care about these people. God cares about the, the broken families and the difficulties therein. We should too. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5, again, to, to call on Timothy, Paul gives a lot of instruction on, hey, when you've got widows in the church, here's how you make sure they're taken care of. Here's what you do with younger widows. Here's what you do with older widows. Here's how we make sure they have what they need so they're not overlooked. Because God cares about these people. And so we do too. And we're going to talk on, on Wednesday about when families break, about those, those painful things we go through. But today I want to focus on this idea of the church as a family of families. Let's look at Mark. I want to look at a couple of verses from Mark. And then before I run out of time, we'll make our application. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Verse 31. And his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about on those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. 
For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. We talk about the family of God. We talk about the church as a family. These are the people that Jesus considered his, his mother, his sisters, his brothers. His family is the church. It doesn't have to be somebody who's married, somebody that has children, somebody that uh, is part of any of those things. That's that family. But I want to look at one other one in Mark chapter 10. Because there were a lot of people when they started following Jesus, especially in that day and age, for the Jewish people, it was viewed as betrayal. You're, you're giving up your, your Jewish faith. You're, you're leaving. The, the Jewish people were heavily persecuting the church. And a lot of people, when they became Christians, their Jewish family said, we're done. You're not part of the family anymore. The Greek people, the same thing. They said, I'm giving up this paganism. I'm giving up the, the idolatry. I'm giving up all of the things that we've practiced before. You might lose your family when you do that. And so it's right after the rich young ruler when he's told, give up your, your riches. And he said, yeah, no thanks. And went away sorrowful that Jesus is talking about giving things up and, and uh, doing those things. And in verse 28 of Mark chapter 10, Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he shall receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. He says, you might lose those things, but you're going to get all those back. And what I love about this is we say, man, when you sacrifice here on earth, well, you get to go to heaven when you die. Yeah, he says that here too. He says eternal life. That's at the end of a long list. He says, in this life, you're going to get everything back to you tenfold. You're going to get houses and barns and, and family members and all of those things that you're losing for the sake of the gospel, you're going to get them. How are you going to get them? There's a bunch of smiling televangelists that will tell you this morning, God's just going to make your life great. You're going to get rich. You're going you're to have your cup running over that way. That's not that way. How did they get it? You go to Acts 2, you go to Acts 4. Anybody who was in need, what happened? Their new family came and said, I've got you. I've got extra. I'm going to sell my extra and take care of you, and you're going to have what you need. You go to Acts 6, they appoint deacons and say, you know what, the widows aren't getting fed. These guys are going to make sure they get fed. We're going to make sure they're taken care of. They're part of our family, and we're going to care for them. We're going to make sure that they have what they need. It's exactly what Jesus promised, that when you become his child, you enter into a family that, you know, when families break here on earth, it is a tragedy. All those things I just talked about in the sermon, I'm not downplaying that at all, that it's a bad thing when families fall apart here on earth. However, that last name you're born with, those genetics you're born with, there are things that the family that you have in Christ, that family blood, it's going to last for all, for all of eternity. Hopefully your physical blood family is also baptized in the blood of Christ, so they're your spiritual blood family, so you're all saved for all of eternity. But more than anything, if, if you're estranged from them, if that falls apart, you've got a family that you're going to live with forever and ever and ever. It's a beautiful thing that he designed in the church. The church is a family of families, and we care for each other in that way. We see just so many examples of his love for us, of, of his love for the widows, of, of, for those in need. But when we think about this, when we think about reaching out to a world of broken families, when we think about where maybe we haven't gotten this right, we think about the things I just talked about in the sermon where maybe we've kind of given in to the atomization thing, where we haven't, we, you might still be married, you might still have kids, but you haven't really connected with them in the way that God wants you to. You might be a, a husband who really, spiritually, you're just not plugged into your family that much. You might be a wife who just says, I wear the pants in this family and I run the show something that God is, is not in favor of. You might be a kid who just says, you know what, my parents are toxic and I'm just not talking to them. 
There's difficult people. We've got to work through these things. But it also says, honor your father and mother. And, and so all these ways that Satan has separated us, we deal with all of these things in addition to the broken families of, of divorce and of loss and of, of those things, of, of just general loss, of loss of a child, loss of a spouse, of, of all those difficult things we go through. And we all come together as a family. But I think about Israel when they were going into the promised land. They had a bunch of people from Egypt say, you know what, you guys seem to be on the right track. Your God seems way more powerful than our God. We're with you. Those Egyptians were not people from the Hebrew culture. They were not people who knew God. They were coming from a pagan culture. They had some things to learn as they were brought in. But they said, come on along. You're part of the family now. You are of the, you're children of Jacob, children of Abraham now. When they go into the promised land and they go to Jericho, who's the first person they meet? Rahab the harlot. Not somebody with a, a, a shining past. I mean, we call her Rahab the harlot. That's not a, a great name to be known by. Later on, we see her in the genealogy of Christ. Later on, we see her, you know, she, she matters. She's brought into that family of God's people. It's important. God makes a new family out of those things. And so I want to kind of think through how that would work for us. Because, yeah, we want to be open to families that have been through divorce. We want to be open to, to people that, that have broken families. We want to be a home for them and realize you're coming into our church and now you're part of this family. On the other hand, and, and as we look at the New Testament, and again, those pagans coming into the church and people coming in from all kinds of different walks of life, yeah, everybody was welcome. But if you're in the church for one year, okay, you're going to look about the same. If your family's been in the church for three generations, that, that woman that comes in, that harlot that comes into God's people, three generations later, what should it look like? She should be assimilated. She should be one of them. She should have given up her old ways and have a family of her own that's thriving and flourishing. That the, the influence of being around God's people, again, that a, a strong church family creates stronger families outside of these walls, is what we're aiming for. And so think about in our day and age, a single mother comes into our, to the church Maybe it's an invitation. Maybe just driving by one day she thinks, you know what, I, I should go to church. Whatever it is that brings her in. And she comes in with a son and a daughter. She's divorced. She can't be married again. It's going to be a difficult thing for her to hear. Because uh, as far as providing for her children, as far as uh, having a father to raise her son and daughter, of, of all the things that, that they're never going to be a whole family. That's just how it is. That's how God set it up. And so they're coming into this new family. How should that work? Well, first of all, they're, they're just invited to be part of things, right? They're invited to meals. They're invited to events. That's kind of the easy thing, all right? You're here. You're part of the family. Come and eat with us. Come to worship with us. Come to our fellowship times. Come for our events, whatever we're doing. Come be a part of that. You're part of this now, too. But beyond that, she should have support as a mother, right? She should have the older women teaching her and helping her along with that. But one of the other things is we know the statistics on fatherless children, it's not a good thing. Uh, I mean, the crime rate of fatherlessness, the dropout rate of fatherlessness, the, uh, the financial struggles of, of children that grow up without a father. I mean, the, the, it is overcoming enormous odds for a kid to come out of that well-adjusted, successful, um, uh, faithful, all of the things that, that go into that. And so what does the church, what can the church do for her? What does God want to happen in that situation? Care, right? And so the men of the church think these kids don't have a dad. God's a father to the fatherless. We should be too. We should emulate that. We should take that on. Pure and undefiled religion is to visit widows and orphans. Well, they're not technically orphans. They still have a mom. They don't have a dad. They're going to need that. I was at a church in California last week. 
and there was a young guy, I don't know, about 24, 25. I can, that sounds weird to say a young guy. And again, I'm, I'm very much in this midlife crisis mode or something. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out where I fit. But he was younger than me. Uh, young dad, just had his, his uh, second child. And um, really faithful member, a guy that just wanted to be involved with the work of the Lord. In fact, was kind of hard on himself for saying, I haven't done enough for the church. I haven't been plugged in enough. Just a really good guy. I got to know him a bit, and he, he was telling the story of his dad. His grandfather, so this young guy's grandfather, died when his dad was 12 years old. Just teenage guy. Again, they, he was a part of the church. The man died in Christ, so thankfully he was saved and all that. But the, the dad and his brother, 12 years old and 10 years old, no dad. The men of the church said, all right, they're our sons now. They, that is our responsibility to make sure these kids get what they need out of a father. Said they took them on their camping trips. They took them... Uh, to church camp. They took them to the, the works of the church, the, the service days, things like that, that it was, hey, we're going, you're going too. They, they got involved in their lives and said, we're going to be fathers to you guys. We're here for whatever you need. There's things your mom just can't do. A mom can't be a dad. She can, she can bring a lot to the table, but she can't be a dad, and so we're there for you. He said his dad grew up in the church, stayed faithful, raised him in the church. Now he's here. He's got his kids in the church. Multiple generations down the line of people that were in that church building last weekend because the men of that church said, we're not going to let you slide away. We're not going to let this happen that way. It is our job to stand up and take that on. The church is a family of families. Even though their family wasn't complete, what did Jesus say in Mark 10, 28? You're getting a family. You come to be part of this, you're getting a family. And so uh, they're, they're going to have father figures, but they're also going to have friends. They're going to have brothers and sisters that grow up alongside of them. They're going to have Christian influence kids around them. That's why it's so important for the families that, that are whole, the families that, that haven't been through those things, to be a stronghold, to be where your home, if you are a, a couple that is married with your children at home, that you're a house where the Bible is being taught, where you're having family devotionals, where you're praying together, where your kids know God is served in this house. This was something my parents did wonderfully growing up. Uh, and in fact, it was exactly one of these situations. My mom's best friend died when her two sons were four years old and two years old. They were, uh, the one, the older son was my best friend. We were born about a month apart, the same age. Now you've got a dad with two sons to raise that he doesn't know what to do. He, I mean, he was just left alone on an island. Those kids, through their teenage years, largely lived with us. I mean, they were over every weekend. They went to church with us because their dad drifted from the church, sadly, through the, the, the grief and everything that, that overcame him. So we took them to church over and over and over, and, and they were part of our family devotionals. They were part of our family discussions, part of our family prayers. They just knew, hey, when you're going to the Wilkie's house, you're going to church, you're studying the Bible. In fact, they'd, they'd bring their bag to stay overnight, and it's, hey, where's your church clothes? Okay, put your church clothes in. We're going to church tomorrow. One of them really got in with some, some bad folks in high school. He stopped just coming over. The other one kept coming, kept coming to church, drifted away for a little while. Now he just got married last year, and he's taking his son to church. He's, he's, he's back on the right track because he had a family in the church when he lost that family. And so part of that is that he had a family in the church. The other part of it is there were strong Christian families that he could be around that were modeling it. So when he looked at it and he said, all right, when I grow up, I'm, I don't want to be a, a broken family that's part of the church either. What do I need to do? How do I be a part of this? And so you start thinking second, third, fourth generation down because, again, we're not we're not on an island, we're not atoms, we're not individual parts, we're part of something bigger, and that's what they learned. Hey, you're part of something bigger. Even if you've lost what was yours, you're getting added to this family of Christ 
that does these things. So it's all part of being a family. And so uh, to, in our last few minutes we have here, what is your role in that? What can you do about that? Everyone in here is at a different spot in life. You might have kids at home. You might have grandkids. You might not have kids. You might uh, just be in, in whatever different situation it is. I can't say to every person in here, what is your role? But it is taking on responsibility for other people. It is saying, you know what, I'm going to have my territory, the wall in front of my house built up so that I can help build others. Because that's something you see, I brought up Nehemiah, said build the wall in front of your house. But there were some people who were really good at building their wall, and when they did, it was, okay, now you go build the gate. You go build something else. You go take on some extra work. Get your house in order so that you can serve in these ways. Because the other thing is the opposite of, of being a family, the opposite of doing what God wants us to do, again, is to go back to Cain and Abel. That question that he asked, that should stick, through, stick in our minds more than anything when we think about being a church family, when we think about the obligation of a family. What did Cain ask God? God says, hey, where's Abel? Am I my brother's keeper? That's not my responsibility. Knowing full well he had killed his brother, but just the, the, the cynicism in that question, am I my brother's keeper? He's not my responsibility. It's not my job to know where Abel is. You're supposed to care for each other. You're supposed to look after each other. You're supposed to know where the others are. You look at Jesus' parables about the, the lost coin and the lost sheep and, and even the prodigal son, you go after those that are lost. You make sure that, the, that everyone's where they're supposed to be. You take that responsibility on yourself to say, you know what, that, that new family that started coming to church, we're going to let them know they're part of our family. We're going to be hospitable and have them over. And, and I think that's more than anything. You start looking at the one another commandments in the New Testament. That's how you be this family. That's how you take on that responsibility. You say, which one of these can I do? Love one another as Jesus loved you. That's a sacrificial love. That's going above and beyond. That's not just love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus loved us better than himself. He laid his life down for us. Love as I have loved you. He says, serve one another. Encourage one another. Be hospitable to one another. Uh, look through those one another's. There's a whole bunch of them that we don't have time to go through all of them and think, which one of these can I take on? Who in my church family can I give that to? You might be a, a younger Christian, an immature Christian, somebody who doesn't feel ready for that. Draw near to somebody. You've got elders. You've got ministers. You've got people that you can look to and say, all right, I want to be part of this family. What do I need to do? And the other side of it is, one of the things I think we've gotten wrong very badly, and it was mentioned I'm, I'm working on another book that should be out early next year. This is really what I'm exploring because we don't understand the family. We don't understand the church family. We don't understand the leadership of the family. We don't understand the leadership of the church in many cases. Some people get really offended when their elders check on them. Some people get really offended when the elders kind of get in their life and prod them and say, hey, we need a little bit more out of you. We haven't seen you at church. We haven't done these things. That's family. When you had parents as a kid, if they didn't discipline you, they said, eh, you know, whatever you want to eat, you can have ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whatever. What would you think of those parents? What is the, the message from those parents? There's no rules, and you just get to do whatever you want all the time. What's the message? Sorry? They don't care about you, right? That, eh, whatever, however you turn out, that's up to you. No, when God places an eldership over your soul, when, when uh, he gives a minister to speak the truth to you, he tells them uh, the, the role is to get you where you need to be, to shepherd you, to parent you in that way, to bring you to maturity, as Ephesians 4 says. It means you need to submit to that. Well, that's part of being a family, is, is accepting uh, the guidance, accepting the, the training that you need so that you can take on responsibility and be part of something bigger than yourself. Let's go to Ephesians 4 to close. 
Because that's exactly what it tells us, is you've got something to bring to the table. You're part of this family, and you can help this family be stronger. And I'm going to mix my metaphors because this one's talking about the body, but it's very much similar on the, the same wavelength of being part of something bigger than ourselves. And just as Israel was supposed to assimilate Egyptians and Rahab and even Canaanite people who converted and, and the, the people that came from other nations and said, we want to be part of, of your nation, God gave them a procedure and says, all right, if they want to be part of it, here's how you bring them into the nation and they can become naturalized citizens. Even though they're not of the blood of Abraham, they can be part of our family. And then when they did, there is that expectation that the longer you're here, the more you're going to look like an Israelite. Well, the longer somebody's part of the, the church, the more they should look like Christ. The more we should look like each other, the more that family resemblance should start to come through. And it comes from the influence that's part of being a family. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Again, that's your leadership, the, the, almost the parents, in a sense, of the church, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's this wonderful progression that we have here, that you've got this leadership. He put this leadership in place to equip the saints for the work of the church. And what does is, what is this keep moving towards? Work of the service, building up the body. Why? Because we get unity out of that. Well, where does the unity come from? The knowledge, from the maturity, from all those things that we're all supposed to have and, and be part of. And so the longer you're part of a church, the more you should grow into the family culture of that church. The more you should realize, you know, you guys uh, saw, as it's been mentioned, we've, we've got the four kids. We don't expect a whole lot out of the twins right now. Not, not a ton of things they can do. John, the little one-year-old boy, he actually will clean up a little bit. And so we'll, we'll say, John, go put your stuff away, and he'll, he'll get after it. Um, Gloria, the five-year-old, she's got some duties. You know, in the morning she wakes up, it's all right, you need to do this, this, and this. When we've got the dishes done, it's go put the silverware away. You're part of the family. You've got something to do. We live in a time of what I call consumer Christianity or customer Christianity. A lot of people aren't Christians. They're church customers. They show up on Sunday. They get fed spiritually. They go home. It's not a bed and breakfast. It's not a restaurant. It's not a thing where you come and get fed and take it and go home. You're part of a family. And, and when you go to your family Thanksgiving, everybody has a job to play. There's going to be people doing the cooking. There's going to be people setting the table. There's going to be people cleaning up afterwards. Everyone has a part to play. Same thing is true of a spiritual family. And that's exactly what Ephesians 4 is talking about, of what every joint supplies. What do you bring to this family? It's not just attendance. It's not just putting some money in the basket. What do you do? Well, what is the, the focus of the work of this family? We're looking once more at verse 16 whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, that's each and every one of us, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The work that you bring is to build up the rest of the body. It's not to just show up. It's not to say, hi, how are you, and smile at people on your way in and out of the door. It's to be connected with other people, to be part of a family and contribute to the work of the family. And when you do that, again, those that come in without a family, they can see, hey, this is how a family operates. I want to be a part of that. 
those that, that are families, they can look at it and say, you know what, we need to be engaged as families so that we can strengthen this place. We can be part of this, we can benefit from it, but we can give to others as well. There's no consumers in a family. There's no freeloaders or, or customers in a family who just come and go as they please. That's that atomization culture that says, get what you want out of it and throw away the rest. No, it's duty, it's sacrifice, it's participation is where our fulfillment comes from. As I said in the sermon, being part of something way bigger than ourselves. That's the blessing and the beauty of being part of a family. And so we're going to get a lot more specific with the actual, I guess we would say the nuclear family, the, the, the home, fathers, mothers, children, all of those things over the next few lessons. But I wanted to look at the church as a family and how there's this symbiotic, this, this mutually beneficial relationship of a stronger church family making stronger home families and stronger home families making stronger church families and how each of us can participate in that. So ask yourself, what do I bring to the table as part of this family? How is my family, if you are a person with a family, how is my family strengthening the church family? Give you something to think about. Think about what can I engage in if I'm not, if I don't have an answer for that, all right, what is the path to that? What's the next thing that I need to do to be part of the family? Because I don't want to be the person that shows up at the family meal, eats and leaves. I want to be part of it somehow. I want to contribute somehow. I don't want to be the church freeloader. I don't want to be a church customer. Well, you've got a family to be a part of. There's ways you can contribute. I know uh, every elder and minister in the world, it is, it is our dream for somebody to pick, call us on the phone and say, hey, how can I do more for the church? How can I get involved with the church? When somebody asks you that question, they're going to have an answer for you. They will love to get that phone call from you because you're part of the family. They want to plug you into part, uh, to being part of the family. And that's what God's called us to do. Let's finish with a prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time you've given us. We thank you for your word that has shown us uh, the value of the family, the value of the church, and, and your beautiful design of both of them, that with Christ as the head and with these guidelines and the, the love that you've shown us, that uh, this will make us more joyful, happier, fulfilled people, uh, that it will bless all the people around us, that, that we're in a culture of so many broken homes, of so much divorce and so much loss and so much... Uh, non-commitment and, and all of these problems that we're looking at, but we know that you have the solution to them, and I pray that you would give us faith to trust those solutions. I pray that you would help us as we continue to go through these lessons that each and every home will start to reflect more and more each and every day the character of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.